Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's Straight out of Cobham, a show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this, our final episode before our World Cup break, the whole Cobham crew will be here to chew the fat on all things CFC. Loads to talk about then, so without further ado, available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic, this is Straight out of Cobham. So we're not heading into the World Cup in the best of moods, are we, Blues? Uh, Hopefully we can do something to cheer you up a bit over the course of this, our last pod, before we take a little pause uh, for the action in Qatar. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by, well, everybody. But to start with, two of the Athletics Chelsea experts, Liam Toomey's back with us. Morning, Liam. Hello. Before we start on the game, I just want to thank Chelsea for doing their bit to build excitement relatively for the least anticipated World Cup <laughs> of our lifetimes. Yeah, anything feels better than a, a Blues game at the moment, doesn't it? Um, also with us, the ray of sunshine to an otherwise cloudy last two match days for me, at least. Simon Johnson, um, you and I were at St James's on Saturday. Didn't have that good a time, I think it's fair to say. Speak for yourself. I loved it. <laughs> yes, hello everyone. And, and I want to thank... I'm going to be... Uh, Controversial. I'm going to thank the World Cup for being here so we can all have a break from Chelsea Football Club madness. I think we all need it from uh, the coach, the players, but especially the journalists. Yeah, quite. But I'm afraid we're not quite there yet. We are going to have to talk about Saturday at St James's. Kill into the set away. McGowan. It's not nice for us. We're in a bad moment, and we have to lick our wounds. Um, we use the break to uh, to recharge and to to re- regroup and, and and go again. All right. Well, as I mentioned, Simon and I were both in the northeast uh, at the weekend for the game. Let's hear what Simon thought post match. Here's his voice note. Hello, everyone. Yes, I considered actually doing this voice note from the toilet I bumped into Matt Davis Adams it sounds very uh, dodgy this actually but I bumped into him before the game and I said oh I might have to record the voice note from in here after the game because it kind of reflects what's been going on lately but I thought better of it um, for obvious reasons it might be a bit creepy although I was kind of uh, I thought the sound effects of a toilet being flushed might be quite apt but uh, but no I thought better of it and uh, I'm now recording this in a virtually empty St James's Park, uh, of course, Chelsea lost again. A very common theme, not just under Graham Potter, but under Thomas Tuchel as well. The away form has been abysmal. But I think what we saw at the final whistle, the sort of bust up, the aggravation, Kai Havertz involved, etc., is just a sign of the frustration among the players. For most of the second half, Graham Potter and Billy Reid stood next to each other. This is the first time Chelsea have lost three consecutive league games since 
that Mourinho season 2015 and, and Chelsea fans are angry and, and rightly so. I mean, this is, this, is a, this is terrible run of form. And that is why the World Cup, the timing of the World Cup couldn't be any better. Actually, um, as I'm talking now, Amanda Stavely and the Newcastle uh, ownership contingent are walking away uh, to my left there in great spirits. Uh, and understandably so, because it feels like there's a complete personality transplant between these two clubs. A year ago, around the same time this game was played, Chelsea were top of the table, Newcastle was second bottom. There were 21 points between the two clubs. There's been a 30-point swing. Newcastle are now nine points clear of Chelsea in the race for the top four. It is just a complete mood you know, change. You've got Newcastle just think that this is a club on the up and of course Chelsea fans are thinking their club is in decline and, and there's going to be lots of Potter out suggestions and so on and so forth but Potter will keep talking about there's more pain to be suffered and uh, this was another example but I think I was saying the World Cup has come at a great time for everyone at the club to regroup Chelsea feel like they need time to go away and think about what's going on, particularly Graham Potter. When you looked during the game, it looked a number of times the players weren't convinced about what they were doing, particularly in the second half. I mean, when it was nil-nil, it felt like a classic sort of Champions League away from home performance, trying to frustrate the home crowd. And it worked for the most part, but the problem is it only takes one moment of quality, which Joe Willett provided, and suddenly it's a different game and suddenly that the whole tone changes and Chelsea once they had to chase a goal they, they never really looked like scoring I mean Conor Gallagher did did bring out a save from Nick Pope but in terms of general threat Chelsea you know came for a point and when that doesn't come off inevitably everyone's got to look at the coach and, and how negative he was but I think for many of us uh, Chelsea fans included, um, it's probably uh, a good time that uh, we all go away and try and calm down. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Chelsea have got a lot of work to do. This is my last game of 2022 and let's just say things can only get better from here. All right, I thought that was pretty measured actually, Simon. Um, Liam, if you want to have a rant about Chelsea and, and how miserable it's been for the last few weeks, this is your opportunity. I just need to not watch Chelsea play football for a while. I reached that conclusion about, well, quite early in the second half, I think. No one is enjoying this experience. No one watching them. They're not enjoying themselves. I don't think Graham Potter is enjoying coaching this team right now. I think they all just need a break. And of course, that break is of is of dubious nature, given that some of these players won't get a break at all and will be exerting themselves for, for their countries instead. But... I just think everyone needs a, a mental refresh as well as a physical refresh. And, and Chelsea have played so much football. The last sort of six, seven months have been so draining in every aspect that just having a little bit of time, a little bit of a breather could do everyone the world of good before you even talk about the more obvious stuff like getting players fit and, and Potter having a bit more time to think about his his tactical planning. It was just another completely joyless game from a Chelsea perspective. I think they they were completely shut down by Newcastle uh, in every area of the pitch. 
again, it looked like quite a conservative game plan um, to, to sort of try and hit on the counter-attack, but they had no real quality to do so. It felt like Armando Breuer very isolated up front. Newcastle's press, there's a really good piece on The Athletic from Ahmed Walid detailing how just how Newcastle managed to shut Chelsea down. There's been a distinct lack of tactical reaction from Graham Potter in-game in the last two, three games, um, which maybe is a sign of either his limited options or just that he needs a bit of a break. And uh, and the game only looked to be going one way, didn't it? And, and once Chelsea did go behind, you never got the sense they were going to get back into it. That limited reaction from Graham Potter, Simon, that Liam talks about there, is it fair to use the injuries as, as mitigation for that? And I'm looking down at the list of players who aren't available and I think Kepa, Fafana, James, Chilwell, Kante all get in Chelsea's best team, don't they? And, and if you're looking at the options he had off the bench on Saturday, again, you, you're throwing on Christian Pulisic and Kai Havertz and Hakim Ziyech and hoping that they're going to do something that, that really they, none of them have done all season and, and produce something. Yeah, and I mean... I'm going to start off actually by giving a slightly more positive tack of how I saw the game for them until Newcastle scored. That for me, it was, we've seen Chelsea play like this many a time. Mourinho, tactical masterclass, all that. And I'm not remotely saying that it was a Graham Potter tactical masterclass. But I saw it as a classic away game in Europe kind of performance. And when you compare it with Brighton, where it was almost attack v attack and let's see who comes out on top and Chelsea were far too open. I thought that actually, when you think back to what Newcastle created and I stood, even, even with the goal, I mean, the goal was not, a great chance, as it were. I mean, Almeron dribbles inside, actually is losing control of the ball. And Joe Willock provided the only bit of quality, really, in the whole game. And smacking it in the top corner, a fantastic finish. The problem is, when you play that way, you've then got to complete reverse gear and, and sort of suddenly show more of an attacking edge. And Chelsea didn't. You know, you, you thought, oh dear. Now now, now the game plan has backfired because at 1-0 down, you've got to come out and attack. And, and, and Chelsea didn't really have much of a threat. And, and Broglie was, was isolated. I agree with Liam there. And, and certainly as an attacking force, you, you didn't get the impression they would nick one. But I didn't have... I, you know, look, Chelsea have gone to Newcastle many times with better teams than this and lost. Mourinho never won there. But I didn't have I didn't have a massive problem. I know Chelsea fans will be like, oh, you know, it was such a negative display, blah blah blah. But like I said, after the Brighton performance where they were far too expensive, you're going to a team hot in form and play like that, they would have got rolled over. So I don't think you can complain about one thing and then complain when he does something that's actually showing respect to a team that's in much better form than they are. But um I've almost forgotten the question you asked me now. But yeah, in terms of the players that were missing, yeah, I mean, th- this isn't the strongest Chelsea team. And I think we saw the, the, the frustration, that, that incident at the final whistle, as I referred to in, in the voice note. I think that's where you sort of see that the players are, are not happy about things as you'd, as you'd want them to be. And I suppose if you're looking for really small positives, you'd say, well, at least they showed they care a little bit. But... Part of me saw that incident and went, well, where was that? We didn't see enough of that during the, during the actual game itself, not, not wishing to contradict what I've just said for the last five minutes. 
We're going to talk about Graham Potter shortly because Simon's written about him for The Athletic. But um, Liam, I wanted to get your opinion on the fact that there were six Cobham kids in the starting lineup for this game. Is that something that, that we should be really happy about and praising Graham Potter for? Or, or is that him kind of saying, the people I've got in reserve, you, the people I mentioned, Ziyech, Pulisic, Havertz and a couple more, aren't playing well enough to get in my starting lineup. Hence, I'm having to use teenagers and, and inexperienced players. Well, I think most of the Cobham kids that were... We call them kids. They're not kids. They were in the team. They're all in their 20s. I just love alliteration. All... I'm sorry. That's just <laughs> guilty. They can't be Cobham kids forever. They're Cobham products, but, um, you know, I know Ruben Loftus-Sheet comes off early, but he's, what, 26, 27? So I think it's nice to see, and I think it does it does fit into the broader everything we're told about the ownership model, that they want the academy to be front and centre of what they do and they want the players that the academy produce to to play big minutes for Chelsea and a big part in this, their success. But you, it's nice to see. It's nicer to see it and win. And I think, it, you know, the, the achievement is somewhat diluted when you get basically bossed around the pitch by, by Newcastle and, and end up losing the game 1-0. Um, but, you know, it... There seems to be a an eternal culture war on Chelsea Twitter between those who want to see academy graduates in the team and those who either don't care or bizarrely would really don't want to see it. I don't know why you'd be of that opinion, to be honest. Either be ambivalent or for it. I think it's just a symbol of people's broader frustration. At the end of the day, people want to see a team that wins and, and a team that plays well. And they're not getting either of those things to any degree at the moment relative to Chelsea's usual standards. You know, I, I, I'd like to see Armando Breuer get, get more of a chance. I'd like to see him get a bit more support when he does play because I think the way Chelsea have set up the last couple of times that he started, he's felt almost like Didier Drogba at the new Camp. You know, he gets the ball and he's not got a teammate within 40 yards and he can barely see the opposition goal. And there's, it's basically just, right, carry the ball up the pitch yourself and try and turn nothing into something which sometimes he can do but he's still a young guy and he's gonna he he's still pretty raw so yeah the the Cobham side of it is nice and we know Potter wants to lean on the academy I think individually these players are good enough are all good enough to be Chelsea players whether they're all good enough to be starters in a great Chelsea team that's competing for everything I think is a is a fair conversation to have but ultimately, you, it, it only really means something when you win the game. Uh, Liam mentions the two factions there, Simon, of, of pro and anti-youth. It feels like there are, there are different camps, pro and anti-Potter as well. But, but from what you're reporting, there's not any hint that there's going to be a managerial change anytime soon. No, I mean, I, I read one of the early comments to the piece was, um, why was this even necessary? Um, to write something like this. It's like, well, <laughs> I didn't reply, but I felt like saying, well, Aren't you aware of the 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 fury on the athletic pages, let alone on on social media, etc.? I, I just felt, you know, that it was important to sort of almost and people say, oh, you know, you're working for the club almost, but no, it was just like find out, you know, what is the what is the feeling, you know, how how is there any sort of concern about what's going on, etc.? I mean, it's we've seen the owners make a surprise sacking already this season. You can't rule anything out. But anyway, the messages I was getting loud and clear from people I was speaking to was was that, yeah, obviously they're not delighted 
Um, no one at the club is delighted about what's going on in terms of the results, but there's no sort of suggestion of them suddenly going to rip up the the reason why they, they hired Potter in the first place. Um, it's a long-term project. Uh, you give someone a five-year deal, you're not sort of just thinking about the next six months, you're thinking about the next five years. So, look, he's not going anywhere. I think the sooner... That I, I appreciate fans aren't happy and they're totally right to question and criticise... But this whole sort of Potter out, Tuchel come back in sort of mantra that I keep reading and seeing and why why sack Tuchel and Todd Bowley, what are you doing, etc. I think the fans can play their part, is what I'm saying. It's very, very difficult. I appreciate that. The, the form is awful. But I don't think this sort of toxicity is... I, I don't see how it can help. It can only be a hindrance especially when, as I said, it is pretty clear that nothing's going to change, certainly any time soon. So perhaps it's good that, and I say this in the piece, that um, can you imagine if the Bournemouth game was was uh, on Saturday rather than on December the 27th? Yeah, and they go a goal down. Ooh. So, yeah, I just hope everyone, including me and Liam, are fully refreshed to go again on, on December the 27th. All right, well, you can stand down from Cobham duty until then. Um, Liam, you're not going to be off all of that time. Give us a little uh, a preview of what you're working on for The Athletic, please, and what's on the site now. Um, so Simon and I have been watching Christian Pulisic quite closely, week by week, whether he's been playing or not. So we're going to be pulling that all together and publishing a, an almost game-by-game diary piece of Pulisic's Road to the World Cup which may or may not be of interest to Chelsea fans or, or our US readers. We'll let, I'll let people decide about that. And beyond that, it's just kind of gearing up for the tournament now. I'm doing a little bit to help our World Cup coverage, doing a few live blogs, and I'll certainly be writing about Chelsea players involved in the tournament, I think. How about you, Simon? Um, I'm going to go sleep uh, <laughs> for five weeks. Uh, I will be writing about Mason Mount. Obviously, his future has come up in the air. Suddenly, hit the hit the the uh, the papers. So um, I'm going to be uh, setting the story straight about what exactly is going. Or I'll try to anyway. Try and explain what's going on. And then I have some other long term pieces that I'm working on. But I, I'm delighted. I have to say, I've covered two World Cups, and I'm delighted I'm not going to this one. And probably so are a lot of other people, <laughs> including the England football team. <laughs> they, they don't have to see my happy, happy, uh, go lucky figure in the mix zone like they did four years ago in Russia. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? There's an actual World Cup starting and we couldn't be less invested in it, many of us. Anyway, do stick around for the Athletics' brilliant coverage of the tournament. It will be unrivaled and the best place to follow all the action in Qatar, athletic.com slash Chelsea pod, the place to go to sign up if you're not yet a subscriber. Uh, Thanks then, Liam. Simon, been a pleasure. We'll catch up with you again after Christmas. Cheers. Thank you very much. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. 
Who's that at the door? Why, it's our own Jesse Parker Humphreys, proper Chels, proper Chels FCW, and a proper journalist too. Jesse's here to talk to us about the women's team. This is going to be a far cheerier section than the last part of the pod. Um, Jesse, the, the first question that I've got, it's more of a statement to be honest, is what a good recovery we've seen from losing that first game at Liverpool. Because we know how how much of an effect losing one match in the WSL can have for Chelsea or for Arsenal or whoever. And, and for that to be the first game of the season, it, it really could have hamstrung them. But the recovery since then has been so impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you look at, well, that Manchester City game, I think, in the context of the first kind of nine games Chelsea have played across the season feels so crucial now because obviously both sides went into that having lost their opening game. Chelsea win there and it feels like that's the real impetus to get going and Manchester City have won a lot of games since but they're just already kind of in the six points behind gap whereas the three points behind when you still got to play Arsenal twice I think feels a lot more manageable and I guess it's testament to the fact that you know Emma Hayes always goes on about her Chelsea side being mentality monsters but it's true that they're used to because they're not necessarily a team who despite having won so much goes on these long perfect runs they're used to facing up to adversity, making the mistakes and then just getting on with it and putting it to the back of their their minds. But yeah, I think ever since that game, you've basically just seen, there's been some wobbles, but the team just get better and more confident as the season's gone on. In terms of standout performances, you're thinking what, PSG away and Brighton away as well, I guess, on that kind of water park rather than football pitch and the fact that they were getting used to life without Emma Hayes on the touchline then. They were two results that, that really seemed to stand out to me. Yeah, PSG away definitely isn't one that will live long in the memory. But I think in terms of being an incredibly controlled performance on an artificial pitch in that case, which also didn't really suit, I think, Chelsea. And it going back into the Champions League, which a bit like talking about losing the first game of the WSL, I think it would have been easy for the team to kind of have had the, the demons from last year's Champions League run on their backs and feeling nervous about going into a very difficult group stage um, but to go away and get that win I think was a really big boost and then yeah Brighton another another place where in the past Chelsea have gone not look great but kind of got the win and ground out and I think that's something that's really stood out to me about the Chelsea team this season is it feels like there's more of a sense of control and trust whereas I feel like in past seasons even though Chelsea have obviously still won a massive chunk of games often those games have descended into more like chaos in an attempt to win, in an attempt to get the individuals to to pull things over the line. Whereas I think in both these games, and also in the Manchester United game, obviously um, the other weekend, even when stuff wasn't going right initially, even when stuff wasn't clicking at the very start, the team were very patient and they were willing to wait and willing to build up and, and believe that it will kind of get an opportunity when it came along um, particularly in the Brighton United games, obviously scoring later, but equally in the PSG game saying, OK, well, we've got our 1-0 lead and we're not going to force it. We're not going to push for more goals. We're just going to sit back and make sure we're in control of the match. Uh, in terms of the WSL, are you still seeing it as a as a sort of straight shootout between Chelsea and Arsenal? Same amount of points, albeit Chelsea have played a game more. Or do you think United can can keep up the pace? Obviously, Chelsea beat them fairly convincingly in their last match and, and City again a slowish start maybe would rule them out yeah I think on the United front and for Arsenal as well to be honest this run into Christmas is crucial so United go to the Emirates to play Arsenal on Saturday they then also got City uh, in the Manchester derby in this block of games if United can come out which I, I kind of think they could but if they come out with six points from those few games 
you're going to have to think of them as title challengers as well. It would obviously be very, very good for Chelsea too if United were to manage to get anything against Arsenal, I think, in terms of kind of feeling like the title race is more open, that Arsenal aren't on this just ridiculous run of, of winning that's extended into last season as well. Um, I think City, it might be tough for them, to be honest, because... They've looked fine, I think, in the games they played since Chelsea, but they've not really played anyone tough. Again, that United game in December might be a better litmus test there. But definitely right now, it feels like Chelsea will have their eyes predominantly on Arsenal. But that could change this weekend for sure. Uh, yeah, we'll come to the the Spurs game shortly. But before that, Champions League-wise, be a bit of a surprise when if they didn't get through the group now. What's a realistic expectation for, for Chelsea in the competition this season? Got that big game against Real Madrid at Kings Meadow on, on Wednesday of next week. And, and you've seen them recently, haven't you? Yeah, so having gone to see Real Madrid play Barcelona, I think realistically, if Chelsea want to seriously show that they compete in the Champions League this year, they need to finish this group with a 100% record because the level that Real Madrid and the PSG are on these are teams that Chelsea need to be able to comfortably beat, to be honest, if they are then going to go on to look to beat the Barcelonas or the Wolfsburgs later on in the competition. Listen, we know that the Champions League group stage doesn't necessarily work like that for Chelsea. I would have probably said the same thing last season, but I guess that's the point, right? If you can't win those games, you probably are going to struggle later on anyway. Um, I think the fact that Real Madrid come to Kings Meadow first will be a really big boost for Chelsea because to be able to go into the last three matches knowing you've already beaten PSG away and you've beaten Real Madrid, plus you've hopefully got the three points that come against the second Blatznia game, um, I think that will be really, really useful. And I think the fact that Real Madrid and PSG drew also should help Chelsea out in terms of both of them are really going to feel like they need to go for it. And I think Chelsea are going to be able to exploit that um, by being in a bit more of a comfortable position. So, yeah, I mean, they're going to be tests like they're good teams and they've obviously got fantastic individual players who can who can hurt you. But in terms of how both those teams have played this season, when I've been watching them, Chelsea should really, I think, feel like they're walking away with all the points. All right. Let's hope that that's the case this weekend as well. It's Spurs at Stamford Bridge. Now, when I initially wrote the script, I put in the question, what's a decent attendance? Well, I see this morning it's sold out. So that feels pretty good. Um, <laughs> Spurs had a, have had a big win against Brighton recently, but obviously Chelsea will be favourites for this. And, and this World Cup break that we've got in the men's game, this is a this is a good opportunity for, for people who want a bit of a palate cleanser from what's going to be happening in Qatar to actually get into the WSL because it's carrying on and Chelsea have got big games throughout. Yeah, definitely. I would definitely say if you've not been watching the Chelsea women's team, this is a great block of games to get into them and, and have a look at them because there's some really uh, exciting ones there, both in WSL and in the Champions League. Um, I think in terms of the Spurs game, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting one. Chelsea played Spurs at Stamford Bridge at the start of the 1920 season and the year they'd just been promoted. And I think everyone thought this was going to be this great, fun, free hit. And it didn't turn out to be that way at all. Um, a Bethany England screamer kind of sealed it, but it did end up being a bit nervy. I think this Chelsea team have come on a long way, even in terms of playing in bigger grounds, in front of bigger crowds. Like, it's amazing how, even though that feels like it wasn't very long ago, the growth in women's football just means this squad, whether on an international stage or on a domestic stage, are much more used to, I think, playing on the bigger pitches, playing in front of kind of 20, 30, 40, all the way up to 90,000 people, right? Um, So I think that will benefit them a lot here. Spurs... They're a really, really weird team. Like, I I don't think they're great. I think if you know you watch the North London derby, they just left so much space for Arsenal, which Arsenal were able to exploit. But they have, will understandably have confidence from having had 
a better run of results of having of having scored goals and you know the nature of these kind of showpiece games which is is always fascinating I think from marrying up the footballing element of it with the marketing element of it because the the club wants to say we're putting the women at Sanford Bridge and you know they, they want to to open that up for the women's team but I believe historically so on the footballing side they've maybe been reluctant because of how it can create this additional pressure or you know change the conditions for the players and obviously then for your opponent this is like the ultimate like party pooper moment right to be able to come and, and beat Chelsea in front of a, a massive set of fans so it will be interesting as well because I always think Chelsea look a lot slower after an international break so I think in terms of timing it's a bit of an unfortunate one because I feel like you never know how players are going to come back. Uh, it looks like Penilla Hard has pulled her hamstring on on Denmark duty, so I don't think we're going to see her for a couple of months now. You just never know the fitness and the levels of the players. Obviously, all uh, Sam Kerr and all our Swedish players are coming back from Australia too. So it's certainly not going to be like a walk in the park by any means in the way some of Chelsea's games against Spurs have been in the past. But I think Spurs are a team where Chelsea have, in the past couple of seasons, just shown that that they can outplay them. You know, I think back to last season when Anne Katrenberger got sent off and Chelsea still came back to win the game from 1-0 from down. So I think, yeah, Chelsea will expect to win it, obviously. And I, I just hope it's a, a great atmosphere at Stamford Bridge because obviously the last time they did it, there was all this furore around the free tickets and who was there and who wasn't. And blah. But I think it will be a very, very different atmosphere on Sunday. Yeah, should be a good one. Um, Jesse, thanks so much for your time today, for your contributions this season. We'll catch up with you again after Christmas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another ring of the doorbell. Let's see who's here. It's Dominic Fifield and Sam Parkin who set aside their utter hatred of one another, born with the quiz, to talk Chelsea at the World Cup and what happens thereafter. Um, so there are 12 Blues who will be going to Qatar. Edouard Mendy in, Khalidou Koulibaly from Senegal, Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling, Conor Gallagher with England, Cesar Azpilicueta, question mark, with Spain because he went off injured on Saturday, didn't he? Thiago Silva, Brazil, Christian Pulisic, USA, Kai Havertz, Germany, Mateo Kovacic, Croatia, Hakim Ziyech, Morocco, and Denis Zakaria of Switzerland. Um, Dom, who out of those players, if any, is most likely to come back with a winner's medal, would you say? Well, I mean, Thiago Silva and Brazil, I, I always look at the Brazil squad ahead of a major tournament thing. how the hell are they not going to win it? But they always find a way. I mean, it's, it's usually the the forward ranks that sort of set them apart. And it, actually, that is a fairly mouthwatering list of players as it is. But Thiago Silva at the other end, 
surely his last World Cup. He can't go to another one at 42, can he? I mean, you'd imagine that he, he would have a point to prove. Um, so, well, not a point to prove. What are we talking about? He's won everything. But but he he will want to go out on a high. So possibly him. I mean, I'd love to say the English contingent, but I just think that the run of form that they've been in going into the into the tournament has been so miserable. They'd have to they'd have to buck a trend to uh, to emerge victorious. Oh yeah, it's quarter final defeat on penalties for England, no doubt about that. Uh, Thiago Silva looked absolutely furious. He had to come off the bench at St James's <laughs> Park on Saturday, uh, didn't he? Sam, those England players, Mason Mount, Raheem Sterling, Connor Gallagher, uh, maybe to a lesser extent Gallagher, but Sterling and Mount might be looking at, at this tournament as a way to, to free themselves of the shackles of, of Chelsea's miserable form and maybe play themselves back into a bit of form, Sterling in particular. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it's very different, isn't it, when you go away with your country. I think that'll probably quickly be forgotten about the club form it's just about focusing on the international stage Sterling's obviously been such a a great player written off by everyone I think prior to the previous tournament and he was he was electric if if memory serves me right so yeah I'm I'm sure he'll be confident going into this he's a likely starter as is Mount Um, probably Foden is the other one is he fighting for that supporting role if it's the usual Southgate shape that we anticipate it being so those two could be in there from the off and got a great opportunity, I think, to um, to do well. Um, I'm going to compare the World Cup to the Championship now because I'm looking at it and not seeing any teams jumping out, really. Normally, you've got kind of Germany, Spain, Brazil, your dead certs to go to the latter stages. I don't know. I don't know. And, and with Dom, with, with Brazil, uh, a lot of good players. I don't know if they've got, you know, world superstars of years gone by, Neymar apart. So... Yeah, it's a, it's a good opportunity, I think, for for Spain, maybe, for, for Germany um, to go quite deep. I quite like Senegal, actually, you know, looking at their squad list and looking at their group as well. Obviously, a lot of players that we're, we're familiar with playing in the Premier League and Mendy and Koulibaly going to be part of that squad. So I'd expect them to get through the, the group stage, but it looks like quite an open tournament. So maybe a number of those not coming back till well into December. Yeah, I wanted to um, to mention Mendy and Koulibaly, actually, Dom, because Mendy, interesting one, it felt like his loss of form kind of coincided with him coming back from from having won AFCON um, last season. And, and Koulibaly's not had the greatest start to his Chelsea career, I think it's fair to say. So Koulibaly maybe like with, with Mount and Sterling, a chance to, to pick up some form again. But it's an interesting one with Mendy, isn't it? Because Kepa has been injured and isn't going with Spain, you wonder whether even if he has a brilliant tournament, he's still going to come back and be second choice to Kepa, purely on the basis that Kepa's going to have been hanging around Cobham and Abu Dhabi for the next six weeks. Yeah, and, and, and as unfortunate as it is, I, I think Mendy will be possibly un, unfairly associated with this little dismal run of form that Chelsea have carried into the tournament as well. So the fact that Graham Potter will, will be working you know, potentially with Kepa at the training ground, seeing him around the place, that, that may well come into his thinking when it comes to selecting those, the team for the Bournemouth game at the end of December. With Koulibaly, yeah, you'd imagine that it would be almost liberating for him to to go off and be with his international teammates at a major tournament and hope, hopefully... Yeah, release the shackles and 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 we get to see a bit more of of the player that that Chelsea thought they were signing. Although with that one, I just think there has to be a bit of a doubt, sort of lingering doubt here that that Chelsea have just signed a player that was 
was very, very good four or five years back when Chelsea were first originally linked with him and, and has actually just come to the Premier League at the at the wrong time of his career. I mean, maybe he'll prove me wrong in the second half of the season, but that that's the that's the sort of sentiment that I've carried from his his start at Chelsea. Uh, amongst those not going, Sam, James Fofana, Kapika Gurea, Chalaba, Loftus-Cheek, Jorginho and Aubameyang. Obviously, a fair few of those are injured. We, we would expect Reese James and maybe Wesley Fofana to be available once the Premier League resumes. But people like Jorginho and Chalaba, they're going to be key in these, these first few games post-World Cup, aren't they? Because they're going to have been around all the time. They'll be fit, fresh and firing. But, but you just hope for... I mean, for Chalaber in particular, who's who's played pretty much every game for the last few months, that the first thing on his agenda is a couple of days rest. Yeah, definitely. I think you can turn it into a little bit of a positive. It's it's not the norm, is it, having a bit of a break? So I'm sure they'll be able to have some time off, recharge the batteries, and then it'll be about Graham Potter and his coaching staff speaking to the individuals again, like I'm sure he did when he first came into the club, and honing in on exactly what he wants from certain individuals the improvements he wants to see. He can feel slightly unfortunate, Chalaba, that he's not going to be playing in, in the World Cup, uh, given how good his his form's been. It would have been a an outside shout. But but yeah, I think they can see it as a little bit of a positive initially to recharge. And then the likes of Kukurea, Koulibaly's obviously going to be off playing, but those guys have got to kind of refocus after a mad few weeks and months and and kind of get their Chelsea careers going. So... I see it as as a real positive for Chelsea. There's been a lot written in the last few days, some of it well over the top, in, in my opinion. Um, it's going to take a while. It's going to be a long road, and that might be the case for some of the new players. But what we need to see when the season restarts is an improvement from all the new signings, really, I would say, across the board. Um, none of them have really started particularly well, so... Yeah, that's got to be the motivation when they come back. And likewise, I'm sure for the for the manager and the new staff, they'll have a better idea about how they want to attack things. So it couldn't have come at a better time, probably, this break. Yeah, it's a massive period, isn't it, Dom? On the grass in, in Cobham and then off to Abu Dhabi for some warm weather training. Um, so big for Graham Potter, big for the new signings. Big off the pitch as well, isn't it? Gives the ownership the chance just to just to breathe and, and think about what needs to be done in the second half of the season without the relentless fixture list that, that's, you know, sort of hampered Chelsea for the last couple of months, hasn't it? Particularly in October with all those games and a new manager in charge of them. Yeah, and they have to bear in mind that as soon as football, domestic football starts up again, they're, they're pretty much plunged into exactly the same scenario that they've just endured. I mean, the, the schedule is going to be as brutal from the end of December through to the resumption of the Champions League in mid-February and 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 onwards, it's it's uh, it's going to be relentless. So, so you'd imagine that this period now is a chance for Chelsea's 116 new recruitment staff to work out who the hell they're signing in January and how they how they progress on that, and 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 whether indeed January is the time to make wholesale changes, whether it's better to wait until the end of the season when when they might get you know, first choice targets then. No one really knows how the January transfer window is going to work out because this is a unique situation with the World Cup. We don't know how clubs are going to react, whether they're going to see this as an opportunity almost to have a a reset like the summer or whether prices are still going to be in a premium mid-season as they would normally and you know, how difficult it is to sign players in January. So it's all uncharted territory. And, and I guess, I suppose you could argue that it's uncharted territory for everybody and not just those new guys in at Chelsea. I mean, the, the recruitment staff there and, and the ownership at, at Chelsea, this will be their first 
January window, but it's such a unique one given the World Cup that they're in no worse a situation, arguably, than they, than everybody else. Yeah, it might be more outgoings than incomings, you suspect. Just in terms of the, the Chelsea game is when they come back. It's Bournemouth on the 27th of deck. And then in January, go to the world-famous city grounds on New Year's Day. Dom can tell you just how difficult that is. Then it's Manchester City at Stamford Bridge. Palace at Stamford Bridge and away at Liverpool uh, in the Premier League to finish off the month. So some interesting games there. Uh, speaking of interesting games, we're going to do a quiz but with a twist. Hi, I'm Adam Crafton, and I'm the host of The Athletic's new documentary series, Away From Home. We've been following Ukrainian football team Shakhtar Donetsk through the Champions League group stage. They've had to play their home games in Poland following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The first bomb, you never forget. In this series, we're going to take you inside Shakhtar. Travelling with them across Europe as they set out on their Champions League odyssey. It's not only about football now, it's about should that we are fighting. I'll be speaking to those in Ukraine itself, hearing stories about how the war has affected them. My wife's father, he died. They killed him here. Subscribe now to Away From Home to follow the whole story. Right, it's Matt against Lucy, part two. Listener, if you listened to the first time we did this, you remember that I roundly thrashed our beloved producer, so I'm hoping for more of the same today. I'm going to throw it over to you, Dom. You're the quiz master for the day. Yeah, so it's it's slightly different. We're going to do a bumper five questions oh. each on Chelsea at the World Cup. And there is scope for a dramatic <laughs> tie break at the end. Um, so I, I should stress that we're going to have none of these time-wasting tactics, Matthew. We're going to go straight into it, please. No dawdling between answers. Our listeners do have lives they'd like to get on with rather than listening to Fine. Look, we, we are, uh, Lucy and I are, are happy to show you how a quiz <laughs> should work from a production standpoint. And we'll do that over the next little bit of time. Hey, Dom, it's nice to think that Lucy's going to be getting the curb your enthusiasm for, <laughs> yeah, for, for these two. Well, it's, <laughs> it's better than the blooming deliverance song that she had going with the band for herself (laughs) for herself (laughs) I apologise in advance I'm about to humiliate myself and my family she can just edit this of course and make sure she wins regardless to be fair but there you go Um, we're going to start with Matthew uh, and I should stress that there is absolutely no direct correlation between the difficulty of these questions and my simmering sense of fury at Nottingham Forest's win over (laughs) Palace on Saturday honest Um, so question number one who was the first Chelsea player to feature at a World Cup? Uh, I mean, I've absolutely no idea is the um, honest answer, but let's think. Uh, I mean, it's going to be someone from like 1930, isn't it? So I'm obviously not going to get it, but I will say um, Jimmy Greaves. Jimmy Greaves from 1930, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Go on, Luce, do you want to steal? What era he played for Chelsea. Oh, um, <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. Think cars. No, right, they don't. You I don't, don't know, do you, Lisa? Let's be honest. No. The answer was Roy Bentley in 1950. Oh, you know what? I was sort of thinking of him. <laughs> but, okay. Go on, Sam. Go take Lucy. it away. Dom's very much the quiz master. I'm very much his glamorous assistant. He <laughs> compiled this, so I'm not going to take any credit. Lucy. Who started the 2006 World Cup as a Chelsea player 
that had already agreed terms to sign for Middlesbrough before the end of the tournament. Aww. Lucy sounds genuinely pained. Good question, this one, Dom, because there's one that you want to go for, isn't there? That's what I felt, but it wasn't the right answer. Oh, I, know, I now know what you mean. Yeah. I have like two you know people I mean? yeah. in my mind, and I can't remember the names of either of them, but I can see them. Are you asking for half a mark because you can see them no. in your mind? Well, yeah. <laughs> oh. Oh. Um. No, because I'm going to just say something and embarrass myself, as usual. Lisa, you've heard us do the quiz, yeah? I mean, I don't think embarrassing <laughs> yourself is, is not... The <laughs> It's a tough question, because there's four or five, isn't there, that immediately come to mind that connect these two clubs? No. I don't know it either, going to have to pass so it over. One, is it, is it a striker? No, I don't know. I can't remember. 2006. No, I can't remember. Go on, Matt. 2006. Um, I don't know why this name is coming out to me because I'm not sure he even ever played for Middlesbrough. I don't think it's Hasselbank, so I'm going to go for Emerson Tome. It's good, but the answer is another centre-half, Robert Hooth. Oh. oh, yeah. Emerson Tome's a Bob good shout, though. He played for Sunderland. Happened. Um, oh, very good. Um, so nil nil after one round, excellent. Um, <laughs> Matthew, number two, a second question. Who were the first two players to win the World Cup while on Chelsea's books? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to need some time here. Just thinking back over his VHS collection here. Yeah, I am. Every goal of. Italian 90. The World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I don't, but I don't think it was Italian 90 because there weren't any. I don't think there were any Brazilians in 94. When did. Was it the first two? Oh, you wanted? Yeah, oh, the first two, please. Okay. Um, you want him to get it when there's work ins, don't you? Yeah, he's got. I'm going to. I'm going to. Um, I don't. I can see why nobody of the contestants ever enjoys this now. And it's always the highlight of my week. Uh, and I, I've been surprised that, that that joy is not shared, but I get it now. Is it Marcel Dessay and Didier Deschamps? Half a point. You can steal the other half, Luce. Well, which half is right? <laughs> Actually, we can probably give you that. Marcel Dessay yeah. had just signed for Chelsea prior to the tournament. He hadn't played for Chelsea yet, but he... He'd signed. So he's signed. Say... Right then, isn't it? No, probably about that. It's, it's right. Just yes, right. spot on that. <laughs> the other one, no. <laughs> Lucy's got it. I saw her mouth ready to deliver. Frank LeBurn. Half a point hey. each. Like oh. it. All right, we're on the board, Lucy. That's the main thing. <laughs> right, no problem here. Lucy, at the 1998 oh, World Cup... I was four. Chelsea were represented in the national squads of 10 countries. Who was the Chelsea player in the Jamaica squad? He started all three of their games against Croatia, Argentina and know. Japan. I don't you do. I was four in 1950, by the way, when Roy <laughs> Bentley was the first. A Jamaican Chelsea player. Played I... all three games. I think he may have left that summer. Yeah, gone. you're right. He left in August of that year, yeah. 
players before the year like 2004. I guarantee you know this one. <laughs> Sorry. No more clues. <laughs> Matt's ready to. Oh, so out. that means it's someone really obvious. <laughs> oh, I don't know. 1998. That, so that was almost there. Doesn't get any easier from here on in, Lucy. You need this. <laughs> Just pass then. It's fine. Yeah, Matt, you can have it. I don't know. I, I don't operate in these years. Go on, Matt. I think it is somebody uh, I've had the pleasure of sharing a commentary box with, a lovely chap and a reggae boy, Frank Sinclair. Correct. Well done, Matt. Matt takes an early lead. Uh, third question for Matt. How many players did Chelsea supply to Sven Joran Eriksson's England squad in 2002? Ooh, dear. Um, okay. Uh, ooh. 2002. So 2002 was the South Korea South Korea, one. Japan, yeah. Mm. England squad, there would have been... No, not a sort of post-Dennis Wise time, isn't it? He got a few England caps. Uh, defenders... 2002, so we're talking pre-Mourinho. Um, I mean, there's an obvious answer here, and I think it's the one that I'm going to go for. 2002. Was that from those days? Um, I'm going to say none. Spot on. Oh, that's what I had. <laughs> Very good. Right. Lucy, which Chelsea forward came off the bench at the American R in the 2014 World Cup final? In the actual final? In the actual final. Oh! Which Chelsea forward came off the bench at the American R in the 2014? Sherlock! Get in! Didn't even need the repeat. (laughs) See, anything post... 1998. <laughs> uh, just not to backseat quiz host, but we really need a first name there as well. I think, guys, if, if we want the, Andre. The point. <laughs> Can I have the score here, Dom? Not, not for any reason. The score to, is Matt two and a half, Lucy one and a half. Oh, blimey. Two questions each to go, uh, starting with Matt. Um, all right, so there were no Chelsea players on the books at the time involved in the 2010 World Cup final between the Netherlands and Spain. But Arjen Robben started for the Dutch and three Spaniards would go on to play for Chelsea. Which one of those three started the match? All right, so I've got two of them. Go on to play Chelsea. something maybe who started the match because they didn't really play with strikers did they in 2010 so did he start but then did the other fellow was he like a backup at this time because they had Xavi and Iniesta in midfield this is a hard question who started the final I I don't know who the third one is so I've got Fabregas and Torres in my head I'm trying to think who the third one 
would be. Why did I just say that? I, I think I might have the third. I wasn't. Okay. Do you think he started? I don't. I don't remember. I watched this in the airport when I was flying home from somewhere. There you go. Good. Thanks for giving me that filler time. Twenty ten. Uh, oh, okay. I am going to go for. I think the third one would have been matter. Uh, and I am going to go, oh, man, which one was it? I'm going to go with Fabregas. Lucy, do you want to steal? I didn't have Mata written down. I had Pedro written down. Ooh, really? But that might be the wrong... I don't... I've got my timings a bit squiffy there. Which one of three started the final? I'm just going to say Pedro. Lucy steals. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about Pedro. Two and a half each. Oh my god, I'm sweating. I'm so pleased you got that because I will give you the money myself if you get this one. Oh. <laughs> Name one of the two Chelsea players to start a game at the 1990 World Cup. Oh, for God's sake. I think even for Matt here, we have to say name one of the two. British Chelsea players to start a game at the 1990 World Cup. What do you think, Dom? We've done it now. So So that's obviously a clue that they're Northern Irish. I didn't know. No, they didn't. I didn't think Wales had been to a World Cup since 1950, so it can't be Wales. Oh, Scotland. Did they go to... I can... I can let you know it's not Mal Donaghy. <laughs> this is your heartbeat. Yes! Really fast. My, like, yeah. my watch is going to... If you pluck one of these, I, I have a new two... respect for you, Lucy. That well, no. I never thought it was going to be a height reached. Two British players went to the World Cup. Started Played. a game, started a match. I don't even forgot what's even British Wales. <laughs> I just had, I just had lib there, so I hope they both are. <laughs> and it's not Darren Barnard. <laughs> um, I was going to say like Mark Hughes, but they weren't out. Of, they've been not been at a World Cup for forever. I don't know any Northern Irish players. Well, I don't think Northern Ireland, Scotland. <laughs> Do you know Matt? I think I know one of them. That's impressive. In fact, I might know That's both. Unbelievable. If you get both, then fair play. That's that'll be fun. Close the zoom. Fireworks go off. They each started one game. <laughs> so I don't know if Sam's trying to throw me off by saying I'm British trying to help. instead of instead of English. <laughs> I wouldn't have got either of these. No chance. No, we're going to be here all day. I don't know. Go on, mate. All right. I think. Out of the two options, this this is the safer one. I think that Tony Dorigo started the third, fourth place playoff for England against Italy. Very good. That's very well good. I think the other one was either Steve Clark or Craig Burley. Gordon Dury. Jukebox. Oh, oh jukebox. I've right, okay. Glad I went him. with uh, Dorigo then. I mean, technically not really British, is he? He's Australian. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that because I was eight and I was really upset that Bobby Robson had dropped Stuart Pearce for what I thought was missing a penalty in the shootout against West Germany because I didn't really understand that it was a totally meaningless <laughs> game. But there we go. 
This isn't a totally meaningless game, and I am winning it. <laughs> Three and a half to two and a half. Last round. Give Lucy, do not despair. One. You will Dom. have a chance to draw level on this. Definitely. Give him a really hard question, Dom. <laughs> Change the question. This one, he's never going to get this one. He's never going to get this one. I haven't got it in front of me. Go on. Right, Matt. Peter Bonetti won seven caps for his country and was a member of England's victorious World Cup squad in 1966. But how many years did he have to wait before he received his winner's medal? Jeez. <laughs> um, what a terrible question that is. Um, <laughs> the cat, uh, 66. I feel like this is quite recent. To win the quiz. Uh, 53. Luke, you can steal. Wait, I can't count. <laughs> uh, so that's 44 years. Yeah, my grade E GCSE maths was a bit of a hindrance there. Was it like the 100th year of the FA and they celebrated and they realised... Oh, I don't know. Uh, how long ago was 1966? <laughs> Is that what you Ages. just figured out, 53? Yeah. Well, I thought 50 was a bit too much of a round number, so I just put the rogue three in there for reasons. <laughs> uh, 44. I, I genuinely can't count. 66, 76, 86, 96, 2006, 2016. Literally doing it on a fingers list now. Um, I don't know. When was the last World Cup? Uh, 50? That... Uh, 48 years. 43 is the answer. <laughs> oh, unlucky. Oh, I was only 10 out as well. They were good, good guesses from us, good guesses. I think. Okay, well still a point in it, Dom, yeah? Yep, yep. Just got to win this one to get to the tie break. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to make this easy. Uh, okay, Lucy. In between spells at Chelsea, the aforementioned Benetti enjoyed oh, a stint in the States with St. Louis Stars. Which legend of the game... <laughs> Did he finish second behind in the 1976 North American Soccer League Player of the Year Awards? World Cup legend, even. Legend. Like, to take it to the tiebreak, nobody wants which <laughs> legend of... Stop giving a clues if you don't want the tiebreak, then. Like, proper legend, Luz. All right. Yeah, I... Don't dive in, Lucy. Think of real legends of the game. <laughs> like, massive legend. <laughs> 76, 1976. 1976. Huge. All right, she said the question. She knows it's <laughs> a legend, a big legend. That's enough. It's like... The... Could you be using your hands for a... No, no, no. That's, that's purely the size of the legend that I'm talking yeah. about here. Not that... <laughs> Not the little dribbly legend right, that, yep, from that, South that, America. That, not the little dribbly South America. It's not Maradona. Yeah. Stop it. <laughs> the other one. Is it? Oh, the other no, one. Oh, this is going to be really stupid. No, say it. He played in the States. Does he begin with a No, just no, say the other one. No. With a C. With a C. What? <laughs> just Maybe say it. Maybe we have to Come refer on. to Frank Skinner. I can't who remember. Begins, who's, I'm, I'm trying to think of a legend who begins with C now. Yeah. No, it's not Croy. Oh, that's a legend that begins with C. No, that's not okay, it, okay. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to carry on. It's well, it's not. It can't be Pele's retired. Oh, it can be. I thought it's too old. That's too young. Too old. I, I have to push you for that's an answer. That's wrong. 
Is that wrong? No, it's is Pele. That your answer? It's Pele. Yes, that's you got it. <laughs> I mean, there's a big assist there. Correct. I don't think the stewards' inquiry will reflect well on the quizmaster. Did not think you'd get that loose. Well done. You that was out. pretty well done. That loose, to be fair. You should check your phone. I've messaged you that answer four times now, and you still haven't picked up. Still haven't blue ticked. <laughs> right, Dom. So I take it we're doing a, a paragraph here each. Yeah, line each. Yeah. How many Instagram followers has Pele got? Is that going to be the tiebreaker? Yeah, we'll do we'll, we'll do a line each. Right, we've got a slightly different type of of tiebreaker. Okay, it's a it's a buzz in when you know the answer. So as soon as you hear the answer, you have to say your buzzer word, and your buzzer words are as follows: Lucy, if you think you know the answer, you have to shout out Barnard. <laughs> Matt, if you know the answer, you have to shout out Kjellberg. <laughs> okay. Right. I thought it was going to be Donna. Once you've fine. done that, once you shout that out, then um, we'll consider what happens next. But you have to, you have to, you can't just blurt out the answer. You have to go with your buzzer. All right. So first okay. in. Okay. Here comes the tiebreaker. I'll do the first one, Sam. You go with the second. Okay. Okay, mate. I was born in the town of Rintel on the banks of the Vesta River in Lower Saxony, Germany. If you buzz in are you, and you get it wrong, are you no, out you for the rest of the on. round? Kjellberg. No, Kai that's Havertz. wrong, Matt. That next, <laughs> next, next, you turn, Sam. Can I have it? No. Um, okay. I represented England at under-18s level, but earned 24 oh, no. caps for another nation who will be featuring at the tournament in Qatar. But, but no. That's the correct answer, Lucy. Well played. <laughs> oh, oh, what a <laughs> well, I mean, you, you two. Matthew dropped just by me in the straight out of <laughs> quiz table. <laughs> That's, oh. I mean, if you want to win that way, Luce, then you take it. But... Listen to the look on Matt's face. We were. <laughs> There'll always be the we caveat We were convinced there. that you would have known about um, Rintown on the banks of the Western River, Matt. Yeah. We thought you'd have been planning some form of pilgrimage for the team at some point. We thought you'd, not now, we thought not. you'd have surely have looked that up for a quiz at some stage. So, yeah. I mean, there's literally a picture of Pele on Sam. <laughs> you can see on the Zoom now. <laughs> Good win for you, Luce. Take, well it, on, Luce. take it. Take it however they come. That's my advice on this game. On a serious note, really can we? And I don't know whether the other guys did in the, this in the first half. Um, can we just have a massive thank you to to Lucy and to you, Matt, for putting up with our nonsense over the first half of the season? And we hopefully look forward to you putting us through the ringer again for the second half as well. Thank you. Yeah, make, make the questions easier. It, and, and thanks. It's usually a pleasure, but. Um, I'm pretty good. <laughs> I've got to say, <laughs> um, Sam, Dom, thanks. I guess uh, I hope you both have a lovely World Cup break. We'll catch up with you again post Christmas. Cheers, Matt. Cheers Thank all. you, Lucy. Good quizzing. <laughs> well, there they go, Dom and Sam. Uh, they will not be getting a Christmas card from me after that absolute stitcher but that will do us four straight out of Cobham we will be back after Christmas post World Cup everything will be better in the world of Chelsea Football Club by then don't you worry listener and before we go though we've got a snippet from the Athletics brand new documentary series Away From Home 
They've been granted access all areas to Shakhtar Donetsk during the Champions League campaign, all while their normal lives have been turned upside down by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. It's a truly remarkable series. And if you like what you hear, you can get every episode right now by searching for Away From Home wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a little teaser. Can, can, can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, yeah. of course. You can ask, ask a question. I try to answer. Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days, how, how you are, and also if your family is okay, first of all? Yes. Uh, in, in the morning of uh, 24th of, of the February, we walked up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs. This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Taras Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union, he played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand. Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia. I have a wife and three sons. One uh, seven years, one eight and one four. Okay. What do you tell them? scared so much uh, we, we started to read news but my my son they i think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened now i think they they are scared too stepanenko's life changed like so many other ukrainians did when russia invaded the country in early 2022 but six months on unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing all the world that, uh, that uh, we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. It will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine now. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia think that we will stop to play because of that, we will not stop to play. We'll play and we'll win. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series, I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country. You didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is, is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about... To show that, uh, to show that we are fighting, that we are 
still alive. <laughs> this is Away From Home. Episode one, We Believe in Miracles. Away from home there. Go seek it out now. Right, we'll be back with our first post-World Cup episode of Straight Out of Cobham on the 28th of December, so after the Bournemouth game, which is the day before. Thanks to everybody who's been involved in today's podcast and in Straight Out of Cobham in this first part of the season. We'll catch up with you later on next month. Until then, goodbye. The Athletic. <laughs>